Let me ask you if you would to open your Bibles to the book of James, please. James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1. God has blessed us with very good piano players. Mr. Rena plays for us today. Uh, she plays often today. My daughter, my eldest, played for us. Megan, many of you know that. Some of you are rather new to the church and may not be aware that that was my lovely daughter. But, and thank God for the great piano playing. And Garrett, where's Garrett? Great job on leading the music. But did you hear the drummer? Man, that guy, yes, yes, thank you. Wow, all I can say is wow. That, that was something. All right, today we're going to be looking in the book of James to begin with, and then we'll end up in Job. James chapter 1 and verse number 2 is where we'll begin. And I'd like to preach to you a sermon entitled, The Perfect Work of Patience. Now that was the title I gave to it last night. And then as, as I was thinking about it, I thought maybe a better title would be Closure. Closure. We all seek that at some point or another in our lives, yes? We, we want to fully understand what happened. We're looking for closure. And I think the biblical way of saying closure is the perfect work of patience. But what this sermon is going to be about today is what to do when God doesn't answer. Have you ever asked Him why and then not gotten an answer? We're going to talk about that today to some as deep as we can in this short amount of time, and we're going to need God's help to do that. So would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, please help us today. Lord, uh, I, I seek to uh, help the people today, and I can't do that without your assistance. Lord, I have nothing personally to offer them. My sufficiency is not of myself. My sufficiency is of you. I believe you're enough. I believe you can get the job done. And Lord, I trust you today to give me the right things to say to help someone. Please, God, grab a hold of our hearts today and help us to fall deeper in love with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This is part of the reason I believe the Bible is inspired of God. Because a mere mortal man wouldn't write such a thing. Think about that for a moment. When everything goes wrong, start praising God. Count it all joy. Really? You've got to be led of God to say something like that. Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Slightly old English, what he's saying is you may be complete. You, you can be conformed to the image of Christ completely, lacking nothing. But in order to get to that place in your life, you're going to have to go through some things. And in order for the work that God is doing in your life to be completed, you need to have patience. You need to have patience. When the trouble starts, folks, you are allowed to ask the question, why is this happening? Let, let's just make that clear from the get-go. You're not insulting God. You're not lacking faith. You're, you're not doing anything wrong when disaster strikes and you look up to heaven and say, why God, why? Does it sound familiar? Yeah. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's a legitimate question asked by the only sinless man to ever walk the earth. So you're not sinning when you say, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Matter of fact, verse 5 tells you that you should do it. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You say, what do you lack wisdom about? You don't know why it's happening. Why is this trial happening? So if you don't know what God's up to, if you don't know why he allowed it, ask. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally give you plenty of knowledge about it, and upbraideth not. That's, a, again, some old English. He's not going to chew you out for asking why. He says at the end of verse 5, and it shall be given him. So there's a wonderful prayer promise that you should take advantage of often. 
Let me ask you this, in verse four, uh, 5, rather, does it say when the wisdom will be given? It just says it shall be given. Oh, if he had only put some timing into that verse. If there's like a, a, a statute of limitations, God, I asked when, or I asked why, rather, I asked why on a Wednesday. Now, by next Wednesday, I need that answer. <laughs> or else I'm going to run out of patience. You know, Lord, the problem happened at 10 a.m. by 5 p.m. I, listen, I need an answer. It's, it's the timing of it that really becomes an issue for us. Now, I think all of us are the same on this. There are certain things in life that scare us. The differences would be, you know, maybe you're afraid of sharks and other people are afraid of uh, ghosts and other people are afraid of, you know, heat and... <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is a relatively true statement. Right? There might be some exceptions to this, but one, one of the greatest fears that there is is the fear of the unknown. All of us have experienced pain at one point or another. But when I, whenever I have physical pain, if I don't know why I'm having the pain, what caused the pain? Is it something I'm doing? Is it something that someone else did to me? Is, how do I fix it? If I don't understand the why behind the pain, it makes the pain pretty much unbearable. I just want an answer as to why. Now you see uh, some stories in the Bible where if you let your imagination run, I'm sure you could see my point here. You read in the Gospels about a young lady that had an issue of blood for 12 years. And the Bible says she went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. And specifically the Bible says she wasted all of her living. She spent all of her money on doctors and couldn't get an answer. Okay, now I got one amen on that. I should have a lot of amens on that point, right? Because I'm sure you found yourself to, in, in that position to some extent, searching for the reason why. What's causing this? How do I fix this? Don't you think that that lady, before she met Jesus and was healed, don't you think that she prayed a few times and said, God, why is this going on? And why can't I get an answer? Are you punishing me? Or do you have a purpose behind this? Is this just some clumsy cosmic accident? What is this God? I'm sure that she asked that question. You read in, in John chapter 9 about a, a, a man that was born blind. Remember Jesus passed by with His disciples and the disciples asked the question, Who sinned? This man or his parents? I am sure that that was not the first time somebody asked God about why that young man was born blind. I'm sure that man had asked a few times why. I'm sure his parents, when they held their baby for the first time and could see something's not right with his eyes, and as that young boy grew up and couldn't see, I'm positive that those parents asked, why God? And the disciples, they just assumed it must be somebody's fault. There must be sin involved. And come to find out, they were way off, off base. It wasn't sin at all. Jesus said, no, no, it has nothing to do with sin. This was all designed and planned by God in this instance, right? This isn't the answer for everybody, but in this instance, God has allowed this young man to be born blind so that the works of God might be made manifest in him. Now, we're not told exactly how old that young man was when Jesus gave him his sight. He, I would say at least he's 20, maybe 30, somewhere in there. Imagine going 30 years before you get an answer. Why, God, would you let this happen to me? It's that fear of the unknown that creates doubts and skeptics and causes people to leave behind church, the Bible, Jesus, God, and everything and say, listen, if God is such a great and wonderful being, why can't He show up and give me a simple answer? All I want to know is why. Many of you know what I've gone through, and, and believe me, I don't put it on the level of what I've just mentioned. Many of you in this room are experiencing problems far beyond what I have recently experienced. For those of you that are visiting, this is only my second week back in the pulpit. My voice is still recovering, but doing a lot better, thank God. But over the last five or six months, as you have been praying and I've been praying, I have asked the question, why, God, would you allow this to happen? 
All I'm trying to do is use my voice to proclaim the gospel, to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you take away my voice? Why would you, why would you cause me to cancel Bible school? Why cause me to step away from the pulpit? God, this makes no sense. Why? Why would you do it? And I felt very justified in asking that because in the book of Proverbs it says this, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, there it is in the Bible. It says you need to understand what's going on. So I, I kept reminding God of that verse. Like, like four or five times a day, God, you said that I should seek understanding and with all my getting, whatever that is, Solomon turned it into a noun. With all thy getting, <laughs> is it exciting, baby? That's my grandchild. That's wonderful. Amen. She gave me an amen. My grandbaby's first amen. Anyway, back to the sermon. I reminded God, you told me to seek after understanding. Now, if you told me to seek for it, and Jesus said, seek and ye shall find, where is it? Where is my answer? All I need, God, is a quick explanation so that I can, my, my soul can be at ease and at least I'll know what to expect a little bit better and how to handle this a little bit better. You know, the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit helps our infirmities. Why? What is our infirmity? An infirmity is a shortcoming. Right? The Spirit helps our infirmities. What is the infirmity? What is the shortcoming? For we know not what to pray for as we ought. That's the infirmity. You're going through a horrible time and you get down to pray and you say, Oh God, I have no clue what to say. <laughs> I'm in so much pain, I can't even think straight. Can I just ask you one thing, God? Why? And heaven falls quiet. Your prayer closet, you can only hear the crickets chirping instead of the Holy Spirit answering. It can be frustrating, can't it? What do you do when God doesn't give an answer. James says, let patience have her perfect work. So the trying of your faith works patience. Tribulation, right? Works patience. Patience experience. Experience hope. That's what Paul said in the book of Romans. So I know that this process of God working on my life, it starts with, a, with tribulation it's going to lead to patience, experience. But if you don't hang around, if you don't wait for God to get you through that thing and give you the explanation eventually, then patience is not going to have her perfect work in your life. You're not going to be complete. So here's, here's a couple questions I'd like to pose to you. Do you have enough patience to wait for the answer? He promised He'd give it. But do you have the patience to wait for God to give the answer? Another question, it's related. Do you have enough patience to wait for God to set things right? Because we are not, I'm not trying to convince you today that you're not going through something. If you're asking why, chances are there is a legitimate something happening in, happening in your life. But is there enough patience there to allow God to finish the work that has already started? Let patience have a perfect work. Come with me to chapter 5, if you would, please. Chapter 5 and verse number 10. Chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul, or I'm Paul, I'm sorry. If Paul wrote the book of James, I've misunderstood some things. James continues that thought of patience in this Verse In verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of what? Patience. You know, when we think of the prophets and we hear a lot of sermons about them and, and rightfully so, we, we consider them heroes of the faith. Great men of God. Powerful men of God. They had the power of God resting upon them. And we think of them, you know, calling down fire from heaven and those type of events and praying like Joshua, let the sun stand still. And boom, it, we, we get that in our minds and we think these prophets, these men of God, 
they had such a closeness with the Lord that surely they never had any doubts. They never had to ask why. They never felt this frustration that we small, little, weak, pitiful Christians, they didn't struggle with our type of problems. Just let your eyes sneak down to verse number 17. Elias, we would say Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Do you see that? Do you remember reading in the Old Testament where Elijah got frustrated and went and hid in a cave for a while and God tried to speak to him and he said, God, I tried to serve you and everybody else forsook you, but I'm the only one. And he got frustrated and angry. Have you ever read the book of Habakkuk? Habakkuk? Have you read that book? You know what that book's about? Habakkuk is upset with the Lord. And he sets off with one question. Why? God, everybody in this nation is living wickedly and you are not doing anything about it. Every, this guy's violating that person's right and this person's stealing and there's adultery and there's corruption. Sound familiar? Why, God, would you allow this to happen? Why won't you show up and put your divine foot down? Put a stop to this nonsense. He asked why. God gave an answer. He said, don't worry about this, Habakkuk. i got a plan. I'm going to bring the Chaldean nation, the, the Babylonians. And boy, they're going to rain down destruction on Jerusalem and on, on this country. Don't you worry. Divine judgment's coming. You know what Habakkuk said? He said, the Chaldeans? Well, man, they're worse than we are. Why would you use such a wicked nation to punish such a wicked nation? And then another why question came up. You see, you think that if God would show up and answer your questions, then you would just be, okay, fine, He gave an answer. No, you'd have more questions. <laughs> this is where you, you might remember the verse. It's in Habakkuk 1 verse 12 where, where the prophet said, God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. What he's saying is, God, you cannot watch these horrible things happen and just let it slide. Your eyes are too, too pure for that. You have to do something about it. He says, so how, if you let the Chaldeans win this battle and take over our country, how could that be fair? They're wicked people. God came back in chapter 2 and said, all right, write, write this down, write this down, Habakkuk. Write it down, get your tablet out, get your pen, write it down. You go home and read it, chapter 2, write it down. Write it plainly on a table so that everybody else can read it. And by the way, he preserved it to this day. So we still have what he wrote. And he said, I, I am going to punish the Chaldeans for all their wickedness. But it's going to take a little time before you see that come to pass. But wait for it. Tarry. Uh, old way of saying wait. Tarry for it will come. And then he goes on to give that famous verse where he says, The soul of the proud will be lifted up, but the just shall live by his faith. Live by his faith. He says, you're going to... Habakkuk, you're going to have to trust me that what I said is going to happen, but it's going to take a while before you understand the whole thing. The prophets themselves, James said, look to the prophets for an example of how to suffer affliction and how to have the proper patience when dealing with these trials. In the book of Micah, here, here's his catchphrase, Woe is me! <laughs> do, you, do you know what that means, woe is me? It means, I am a miserable wreck. That's the updated English. I am a miserable wreck. Woe is me. And he goes on to ask some questions. Why, God, are you allowing this to happen? Have you read the book of Jeremiah? Here's, I'm going to quote the verse for you. Jeremiah chapter 20. He said, O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. How many of you would be bold enough this morning? Go ahead, just try it. I dare you. Look up to heaven, point the finger, and say, God, you lied. You have to be pretty upset. <laughs> you, you have got to be really stirred up and emotional to have the, the guts to say, God, you deceived me and I was deceived. Because Jeremiah, when he got called into the ministry, God said, listen, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'll strengthen you. And man, everybody hated Jeremiah. He had no friends. He had no converts. He had one guy helping him named Baruch. And Baruch even had a few doubts here and there. It was, it was a tough go. So you know what Jeremiah's conclusion was? 
I quit. Jeremiah 20 said, that's it. I don't understand it. God will not show up and tell me what I've done wrong. He won't explain this to me, so I'm done. I'm no longer going to preach. I'm not going to mention His name anymore. Now, folks, be honest. I'll raise my hand first here. Okay. Have you ever gotten to the point where you got so frustrated, you said, because God will not show up and fix the problem and at least explain it to me, well, then forget it. I'm done with this. I won't make you raise your hand, but I'm raising my hand. I've been there. I've gotten that frustrated. If you read on in that passage, however, Jeremiah, it says he stopped preaching, but then the word of the Lord was like a fire shut up in his bones. And he, after, I don't know how long it took, but after a, a, an amount of time passed, he couldn't hold it in any longer. Oh, he just had to preach again. I mean, I could just see people walking by doing all kinds of wicked stuff. And thus saith the Lord. And out of way, you know. I think the best example of this, maybe almost in a negative way, is, is Jonah. Do you know the story of Jonah? Maybe you know the six-year-old version, right? The prophet ran from God. He got swallowed by a well. Then he got spit up and he preached and everybody got saved. That's how most people know the story. The theme of the book of Jonah is actually anger, bitterness. Jonah is angry at God because God had mercy on the Assyrians, on the Ninevites. Jonah wanted God to destroy them. The Ninevites were horribly wicked people. They had just come to Israel and murdered countless thousands of Israelites. Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be saved. God said, go preach to them, go warn them, tell them 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah said, yeah, right. God, if I do that, they're going to repent. And if they repent, you're going to have mercy. And if you have mercy, they're not going to die and I want them to die. Amen. So Jonah said, I'd, I'd rather spend a few days at the whale hotel <laughs> than preach to them sorry suckers. So after spending those three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, he gets vomited out, he preaches, you know the story, they did repent. But chapter 4, if you've read Jonah 4, Jonah's in a huff. He says, man, I knew it. You're such a good and merciful and gracious and long-suffering God. I knew you'd do it. You had mercy on Him. And then God had a question of His own. Hey, if you think it's rough when you have questions for God, wait till God has questions for you. Yeah, amen. You'll be standing there. God asked Jonah, Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah was so upset. Here's what he said. Yes. <laughs> you say, how, how could he have given such a, a rough answer? Because when you get into these trials and tribulations and you get angry at God and you're waiting for an answer and you don't get it and, and, and you're losing patience, the less patience you have, the harder your heart becomes. Patience will keep your heart soft. You can always tell when you're running low on patience because of the condition of your heart. It gets harder and harder. And it becomes easier to say things like, God, you lied. God, yes, I do well to be angry. Well, as you read through the rest of that chapter, you know, God... Jonah, he puts himself up under a hill and he's watching the city and then a gourd comes up and then God, Jonah rejoices for the gourd and then God sends a worm and he, the worm eats the gourd and then the wind comes and blows the gourd down and now Jonah's sitting there in the hot sun stewing in his juices, just angry at God. And God says again, doest thou well to be angry? He says, yes, I do well to be angry, even unto death. And he adds a little bit for, you know, for some gusto. And God, if you've read Jonah, at the end of the book of Jonah, God asked the prophet a question. He says, listen, there are over 100,000 people, kids in that town. Innocents. Not to mention the animals, the cattle, and so forth. I'm having mercy on all of them. Isn't it right to have mercy on them? Question mark. That's where the book ends. It's only one of two books in the Bible that end in a question mark. 
You can learn a lot by looking at the prophets and how they handled things. They had questions and sometimes they went through a period in their life where they got frustrated and bitter. To answer the question correctly, doest thou well to be angry? No. You'd rather just wait and let God explain the whole situation to you in due time. James chapter 5, look at verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. If you were here last Sunday, I preached to you a sermon about controlling your contentment and how happiness is your responsibility. Do you folks remember that? We have a verse here about happiness. We count them happy which endure. So happiness is conditional on you. Please listen to this part. On you not quitting the moment things get tough. The moment you get confused and say, I asked God why, He didn't answer, huh, I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, if, if that's all it takes to drive you away from God and from Christ, then, yeah, you're going to be miserable. If you, if you want to find some peace, some contentment, some happiness, you want to find closure that would offer all of those things I just mentioned, you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to wait a little bit. I don't know if you've heard this, this story before. I, I'm almost certain this never happened. This is just a joke, I think. But I, I find it amusing. Einstein, we all know him, yes? Albert Einstein was on an airplane one day, seated ne next to an uh, Indian man. Like from India, not Durban. India, India. <laughs> and Einstein was a little bit bored. You can imagine, you know. He's got so many things he can be thinking of. He's stuck in a plane for a few hours. He's bored. So he looks to this Indian man next to him and he says, Sir, let's, let's, let's have a little competition here. I will give you $500 if you can ask me a question that I don't know how to answer. He said, however, if you cannot answer my question, you have to give me $5. Do so you understand? If Einstein asks a question that can't be answered, $5. But if the Indian man asks a question that can't be answered, $500. So the Indian man thought about this and thought, $5 to $500, I stand to make some money here. It's, it's worth it. The ratio is worth it. He said, yes, 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 by all means. So Einstein said, my question is this. What is the exact distance between the earth and the moon? That's, that's the best I can do with German. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is the exact distance between the earth and the moon? The Indian man thought about it for a second. He said, I don't know. He handed him $5. And now it's the Indian man's turn to ask a question. So the Indian, the Indian man says, okay, Mr. Einstein. I have my question for you. What goes up a hill with four legs, but then comes down with three? And Einstein sat there and thought, huh. Scratch that fuzzy head, you know. Huh. Huh. That, that's why his hair was fuzzy, by the way, because he scratched like this thinking so much. But he, he thought about it, thought about it. And, and Einstein said, I have no idea. Handed him $500. Then Einstein looked at him and he said, now before I ask you my next question, I just want to know, what does go up a hill with four legs and come down with three? And the Indian man took five dollars out and said, I don't know. <laughs> That's one of those drop the mic moments, you know. Where the, where the student becomes the teacher. <laughs> that's, that's outstanding. I mean, that Indian man really outfought Einstein on that one. <laughs> that was great. Now, God is not Einstein. Right? Einstein couldn't figure that out. You could pose a question to Einstein and he'd scratch his head and say, I don't know. When we're dealing with God, we don't expect to say, God, what's going on? And then for him to say, yeah, I don't know. We expect something very different from the Lord. Look at James 5, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. 
and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Not too long ago, I was in Hart and Boss, as many of you know. I was down there trying to rest and recover from that surgery and get my voice back. And I was, I was upset and bitter and I would like to say praying, but maybe that's the wrong term to use. But I was talking to God. And I was out for a jog while I was doing it. And I'm, I'm jogging along and I'm praying. I'm thinking, I thought, you know, I, I, have, got, I have got it figured out now. I'm, I'm going to corner the Lord with this argument of mine. There's no way He can get around this argument. I'm jogging around and I, there's a, a passage in Matthew 7 that says, uh, if ye being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask? And I said, now God, if, my, if one of my children were going through something affecting them as much as this is affecting me, I would step in as quickly as possible and explain to them why it's happening. I may not be able to solve their problem or take away the pain, but I would at least tell them why. Now there's no way that I'm a better father than you. And I'm jogging down the path thinking, uh-huh. See there, Lord? I've, I got you on that one, don't I? You can't answer that. Because if you're such a great father, where's my answer? I'm not asking that you give me my voice back. I'm not asking that you fix the problem. All I want is a simple answer and you're not even giving me that. So God, how can you say you're a good father? And it just so happened I had reached a, a, a I think it was a rugby field that had the, the stands where you could jog up the steps and down the steps, you know. So I decided to run these steps and I was going up the steps and down the steps. For about three minutes, you know, I just let that thought sink in. Give the Lord a moment to think about my great, my great argument. And, and I, I, I kid you not, I remember exactly where I was. I was going down the steps. Boom, I stopped. Right then the Lord answered my question. He said, now Mike, if your children were not capable of understanding the answer, would you give it to them? I said, well, that would be a waste of time now, wouldn't it, Lord? He said, it might confuse them even more if you tried to explain it to them. They might get even more frustrated because now they have pain and confusion. Maybe they're so young while they're going through it, they can't grasp the long view of this problem. So it would do no good to explain everything. What would you do, Mike? And I said, well, I would tell them just what they needed to know to get them to get them along a little bit. Just to get them through the week or through the month. And he said, that's precisely what I'm doing for you. I'm telling you what you need to know, when you need to know it, and all you need to do is work with what I give you, and when you get to the next spot where you need more information, I'll be right there to tell you what you need to know again. I begin to cry and jog down the steps, down the path, and I said, God, I can't corner you. I'll never win that argument with you. You are a better father than me. That is exactly how it should be handled. The Bible tells us here to refer to Job. Now let's be honest, folks. We've all, I think at some point or another, looked at the book of Job and thought, yeah, man, I'm going through a Job moment. We've all said things like that, but let's be honest, none of us have ever had a day like Job. Right? Nor, nor can any of us say that we are as upright as Job. Job was an incredible man. When Job started going through everything, can I show you what happened? Look at chapter 23 of the book of Job, please. We'll move quickly through these verses, but I, I want you to see Job's attitude. Job chapter 23. Verses 1 down to 5. Look with me there. If you uh, open the Bible right in the middle, you have the book of Psalms. And then one book to the left of that is Job. If you can't find Job, just find Job and you're good enough. <laughs> Job chapter 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. 
Do you understand what he's just said? He said, I cannot complain long enough and loud enough to tell you how bad I feel. I mean, that, that's pretty bad. Verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. God, Job is seeking just a few minutes with God. Where is he? I just want to talk to him for a few minutes. Verse 4, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Yeah, I, I tried that. <laughs> but he's, you see what he's saying. God, I just want a few minutes of your time and I will lay it out for you why what's happening to me is not right. I could argue my way through it. Verse 5, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. That's a big claim. Job said, I would, if God would just show up and tell me, I would be able to understand it all. Would you now? Would you? If God showed up and just explained how this one, this one thing that's happening in your life is going to branch off and affect dozens or hundreds of other lives, it's going to completely change the way you are. You would really understand that? Every repercussion from it? You, all the consequence? No. But see, Job, had, his patience was wearing thin and he was becoming more and more emboldened to say things like this. Just flip over to chapter 31, if you would. Chapter 31, and let's get verse 35. Chapter 31, verse 35. Job says, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. Look at the last part. And that mine adversary had written a book. This Job lived before there was any Bible. There's a good argument to be made that the law wasn't even given yet. That this is before Moses. It, you could make a decent argument that Job's the oldest book in the Bible. And Job is saying, oh, that my adversary, speaking about God, had written a book. We, ha we have one. This helps tremendously. Imagine not having any of this information. Job didn't. Verse 36, Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. He said, he said I, I'd carry this thing everywhere I go. I'd put it on my shoulder. I'd bind it to me like a crown. He said, it'd be a symbol of royalty. What a wonderful attitude for the Bible. We're not preaching on that this morning, but wow, what good verses. Verse 37, I would declare unto him the number of my steps as a prince would I go near unto him. Job said, I'd march right into that throne room and say, here I am, I'm Job. And I have the arguments that's going to straighten this out. And Lord, I'll, I'll fix all the stuff that you've messed up in my life. I'll straighten you out. Not long after that, you can see at the end of the chapter, the words of Job are ended. He said, I'm done talking about it. I've had enough. He was fed up. All he wanted was an audience with God. Do you see that there? Chapter 38. Elihu speaks to Job and to Job's friends for a few chapters. And then in chapter 38, you have this. This happening. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Oh, okay, Mr. Prince with all the answers. Job is sitting on a pile of ashes with boils head to toe. He is in extreme pain. That doesn't look much like a prince. And God says, stand up. We're going to have a talk, you and me. I'm going to get some answers from you. Look what happens. God begins to ask questions. Verse 4, Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. What's the answer to that? Job stands there quiet. No, I wasn't there. He says in verse 5, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who hath stretched the line upon it? And God goes on, just let your eyes stream through the chapter. 
Question, 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 question. Look at verse 16. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in search of the depth? Job, can you tell me what it looks like there at the bottom of the ocean? To this day, science doesn't know what's going on at the bottom of the ocean. To this day, they haven't reached all the depths yet. Job is standing there dumbfounded, realizing, wow, there are a lot of things. Listen to this. There are a lot of things about life I cannot understand. And I have to accept that. As soon as you get it in your mind that, hey, I have to be able to understand everything there is in life, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're going to end up frustrated and bitter. God is making it clear to Job that there are some things you just will never know. Not in this life. Look at verse 17, if you have any doubts about it. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? He says, hey, Job, tell me what happens to a person after they die, based on your natural experience. Remember, Job doesn't have a Bible. Tell me about it. Have you seen it? Do you know what lies beyond the grave? Not physically, but spiritually, can you tell me? Question after question, Job just has to throw his hands up and say, listen, I, I don't know. There are some things I just don't know. I'm not going to get the answers to all my questions in this life. I asked you earlier, do you have enough patience to wait for God to give you the answers? Do you have enough patience for wait to, uh, uh, to wait for God to make all things right? He may not give you the answers in this lifetime. It's going to require patience to wait for these answers. Question after question, Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. We're coming down the home stretch. Forgive me, I'm, I'm going to finish quickly, but I want to tell you this story just now. Years ago, before I became a missionary, before I even got saved, I was working at a place called TRW. They were bought out by a bigger place called Experian, but uh, we were a credit reporting agency. So if you don't know what that is, we, we keep track of your credit, how you pay your bills, how you pay your mortgage, your car loan, your student loans. Our computers held all that information, and if you go for a loan, then the bank calls us, and we tell the banks, this person has good or bad credit. Right? So I think you're familiar with how the system would work. Well, our business decided to switch all of our information from one computer system to another. We thought it was a good idea, but... But the, the people responsible for that, they forgot a few things in the programming. Now remember, we have about 330 million Americans. We lost almost half of America's credit information. People started calling in because on Monday they went to the bank and the banker said, yeah, yeah, everything should be fine. Come back Wednesday and we'll approve the loan. Wednesday they came back and said, ah, yeah, we look in the system. You no longer have a credit history. So you cannot have the house. You cannot have the car. They get denied. Student loans. Uh, things that people need. You know, we started to get one or two calls. <laughs> and those people weren't that nice. They were very angry. <laughs> I cannot repeat the words that they called me, but wow, I was one of the phone representatives at the time, a customer representative. Hello, thank you for calling Experian. How can I help? You blankety blank. You have ruined my life, and I would get their information, enter. Sorry, sir, you don't have any credit history. What do you mean? I'm 55 years old. I'm about to retire. I have a boat. I have three houses. I don't know. I don't know. Person after person. Eventually, we found that there was this massive dump of information when they moved systems. We lost, Bill Clinton was the president. We lost his credit. <laughs> I was the one in charge of rebuilding his credit report. So to this day, I am sworn under secrecy not to say what was on the credit report. I had four men standing around my desk as I typed it back in, into existence. Sure, those people were angry. Can you imagine if I were to say to one of those consumers, and we just ruined their life, if I were to say to them, no, 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 sir, please, calm down. Don't worry. We'll fix it. 
Do you think that there's any American on, on, across the sea that would go, oh, okay. Yeah, that's all I need to know. You said it'll be fine. Okay, I trust you. <laughs> Our company did not have that good of a reputation. <laughs> In order for someone to, to ruin your life and then go, oops, don't worry. We don't even know exactly what went wrong, but we'll sort it in due time. You have to have a great reputation to expect people to accept that answer. No one trusted us. And we were sued left, right, and center. Rightfully so. But, that's what God is asking of you. God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And God says, you know what? I could explain the whole thing to you, but it would just blow your mind even worse than it's already blown. So I'm going to tell you, here's the answer. Um, don't worry. I'm going to use it. It's all going to come out okay. Trust me. Let patience have her perfect work. What is it building? Patience demands and therefore builds a long-term and serious faith to where God can say something like, trust me, even though I'm not, I can't explain it all to you now, you wouldn't understand it, but trust me, I am well aware of your situation, my hand is on it, and I'm going to guide you step by step and give you what you need to know just enough, but trust me, this is going to come out right. Oh, the faith that such a statement demands. You know what happened to Job? Job 42, verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. You know what God did? He didn't give Job a full explanation for why everything happened. Never do you read in the book of Job where God said, Hey, Job, come here. Let me tell you about this conversation I was having with Satan. And that's the reason you went through all this, to prove how much a man can love me. To prove how much a man can trust me. That's how I was using this. God never told Job that on this side of eternity. You know what God did tell Job? Job heard the Lord saying this to the friends the friends were accusing Job of being a wicked man. They said, Job, you're going through all this because of something bad you did. God said, hey, Job, listen to this. Eliphaz, shame on you. That's not right. You know what Job can do? Job's over there saying, okay, I can cross that off the list. At least I, oh, at least it wasn't my fault. At least this, this isn't the judgment of God on my life. This isn't a punishment. So God may not tell you everything, but He will at least say you can cross that off and it's not this and it's not that. And Job can breathe a lot easier knowing, oh, okay, if it's not me being wicked and a punishment, then it must be something better and more blessed. So by the time you get to verse 10, is it? The Lord turned the captivity of Job when He prayed for His friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as He had before. Let me ask you folks this. Now, now we read in the passage that he got back twice the, the animals. He got back ten other children. So he had the other ten. You, you, by the way, when a child dies, you don't lose them, right? That child still exists. That soul is still there, right? So that's why you don't see twenty children. You just see ten more because the ten, they're, they're, they're gone but not, not out of existence. So Job, everything comes back double. What about this? Did Job have faith before everything started? It got doubled. Did Job have a walk with God? It got doubled. Did Job trust God? Sure enough, in Job 13, he said, Though you slay me, yet will I trust Him. Though God kills me, I'll still trust Him. He got that double. But he only got it because he had patience to wait and see the end of the Lord. I promise you, as the days go by, you're going to have questions why. I can't promise that God will always give you the answer. He will give you what you need to get you far enough along in life. And then give you more and then give you more until one day in eternity, 
you get to see the whole thing. Then you'll understand. But until then, God has earned our respect. When He says, trust me, you can confidently take that as closure to say, okay, God, I trust you. There is no greater compliment that you can give Him than to trust Him in those situations. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few moments. Some musical play, and I I know I've kept you folks a, a few extra minutes than I intended. You all know the verse. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That verse can only be a comfort to you if you have patience. If you demand to see the good right away, you're going to end up frustrated. It doesn't work like that. The greatest compliment I think you'll ever give God is to say, God, you've earned my trust. You don't owe me an explanation. I'll wait for you to sort it out. I'll finish with this idea and we'll pray and go home. But if somebody's here, maybe you've been going through a tough time and been wondering why. You know, the Lord, a lot of times, if somebody's not saved, He will allow some problems to come into their life so that they seek after God, so that they can become born again. Many of our testimonies go like that. So today, if if you're here and you've never been saved, and maybe you've gone through some stuff and it's made you doubt the Lord I want to encourage you today that there is a reason for these things. And that by coming to Christ, you're going to find comfort in somebody you can trust. Somebody that will eventually make it right. You'll just need patience. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to talk about these things. Lord, uh, I I know there's so many, so many problems represented in this room. So many questions that have gone up to your throne as to why. Father, I, I don't think that I can speak, well, I cannot speak for every individual. Help us, Lord, to be able to say we trust you. Even when we don't know why. Father, you have earned our trust. Lord, if somebody here is not saved, might this be the day that they fully trust their soul into the hands of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for meeting with us today. Please keep these things in our hearts and minds throughout the week. Help us to apply what we can. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.